Amen. What a great song. Good to see everyone with us. We want to welcome our guests who are with us today. We're so glad you could be with us. If you've got your Bibles, we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23 in just a moment. We are delighted each of you could be with us today on this beautiful, beautiful day the Lord has given us. It's good to be back. I was in Dallas last week preaching, the congregation where my son Jordan's at, and he's doing well. He's healthy, he's strong, he's back at it, and it's just thankfulness for so many prayers all over the world for his health through those crises we had. We have a hymn that begins, On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. And I love that old cross where the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain. On this day across the world and across the religious community, a lot of people are just kind of pausing to think about an empty grave in Jerusalem. For the very first Christians, those very first disciples, it wasn't one day in the spring that they thought about this. It was foremost in their minds. It was the most dominant thing that they preached was the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. They gathered together every Sunday to remember the death of Jesus. The death of Jesus, his resurrection, changed everything. And so we look in our Bibles and we see how important that event was for those very, very first Christians. It was something that changed their life. It gave them a second chance. It showed that there was a better and righteous way in Jesus Christ. And as that old hymn goes, so I'll cherish the old rugged cross till my trophies I last lay down. I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a crown. This morning we want to focus upon nine words found in the Gospel of Luke chapter 23. Let's turn over our Bible, let's grab a little bit of the context here, a little bit of the story behind it, and then we're going to focus upon these nine simple words that was said upon the cross. When we think about the cross of Jesus, there are so many scenes we could focus on. Jesus made seven statements while upon that cross. All seven of them are significant. There were the Romans who were gambling below the cross for the cloth of Jesus. That's a lesson. There was his mother watching her son die upon the cross. That was a lesson. There was the disciples who were scattered. That was a lesson. There was a purpose of Jesus dying. That's a lesson. There was the prophecy fulfilled. Lots of prophecy fulfilled. That was a lesson. As the evening would go, Jesus would be buried in the tomb of a rich man. There's a lesson there. There's layers and layers of lessons. But I want to just pick up on one conversation here, starting in verse 32 of Luke 23. And two others also who were criminals were being led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right and one on the left. And Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they were doing. And they cast lots, dividing up his garments among them. And the people stood by looking on. And even the rulers were sneering at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if this is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up to him, offering sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Now there was an inscription above him, This is the king of the Jews. And one of the criminals who was hanged there was hurling abuse at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other answered and rebuking him, Do you not even fear God, since we are under the same sentence of condemnation? We indeed justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. 
And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. Our focus today is going to be upon this, these words of that one thief. <clears throat> that when he said, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. Those nine simple words. I want to share with you four simple lessons we see from that. Now, there's no indication this man saw any miracles. There's no indication this man followed Jesus. There's no indication that this man was there when Jesus preached a sermon on the mount. But he had a change of heart. Originally, he was abusing Jesus like the other thief was. But what he saw, Jesus was different. Jesus was not cursing the men who nailed him to the cross. Jesus was not trying to offer them some money to get him off that cross. He wasn't begging for his life. In life and in death, Jesus was different. That man saw that, and that man had a change of heart, and that's what we're going to look at today. First thing we notice is that he saw that there was room in the kingdom for people like him. Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. This man was not a good man. This man is referred to as a criminal. He had been in prison, and now he's being put to death, executed by the government. And this is the man who made some wrong choices in his life. He had hung around the wrong people in life. And yet when he came to his final moments... Jesus, remember me. Jesus will remember him. And that's a great opportunity. It's a great lesson for us to realize God has room for every single one of us. Can I, who have never gone to church very often, can I, who have never read the Bible hardly at all, can I, who know nothing about the system of God, be saved by God? The answer is yes. Can I who have made wrong choices in my life, can I who have said bad words in my life, can I who have hung around the wrong people in my life be saved? And the answer is yes. Now let's just take a look at a couple of passages in our Bible. Go with me, if you will, just a few chapters before the Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. And here, as Jesus is heading to Jerusalem to be crucified, we run across a tax collector by the name of Zacchaeus, the wee little man who climbed up in the sycamore tree is how we remember him. And in verse 5 of Luke 19, Jesus came to the place and looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. And he hurried and came down and received him gladly. When they saw it, they all began to grumble, he has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Shouldn't go to that house, Jesus. This is not a good man. This is not a man we call a church person. This is not a person we'd say is trustworthy. And then what follows in verse 8, Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I'll give to the poor. If I've defrauded anyone of anything, I'll give it back four times as much. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to your house. I came to save you. That's what we need to see. Look again in your Bible in the Gospel of John, if you will. Gospel of John. Turn with me to John chapter 8. This is just a terrible story in John chapter 8. As Jesus in the early morning is in the temple teaching the gospel, there is a woman who starts today in sin. She's committing adultery early in the morning. 
And it says in John chapter 8 and verse 2, Early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people were coming to him and sat down and began to teach. It says in verse 3, And the scribes and Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, having set her in the midst. And they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery in the very act. Now the law of Moses commanded us to stone a woman. Then what do you say? And they were saying this, testing him, in order that they might have grounds for accusing him. Jesus stooped down with his fingers, he wrote on the ground. And when they persisted in asking him, he straightened up and again said to them, Who then is without sin among you? Let him be the first one to cast a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And when they heard it, they began to go out one by one, beginning with the older ones. And he was left alone, and the woman was there with him in the midst. Straightening up, verse 10 says, Jesus said to her, Woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus says, Neither do I condemn you. Go your way. From now on, sin no more. And what a great lesson right here. When we see that Jesus saw that he was willing to forgive those who were even putting him on the cross. Back in Luke chapter 23, it would say that very statement there when it talks about that. And down here just a little bit later, verse 34, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Here was a man who saw that there was room in the kingdom for you. Sometimes people say, I don't think I'm good enough to go to church. You're not. Some people say, I don't think I'm good enough for heaven. You never will be. Some people think, well, you know what? I've done things wrong in my life. We all have. That's why Jesus came. There's room in the kingdom for people just like us. And society sometimes likes to put labels right on our forehead, like a liar or a cheat or a gossip or a drunk or good for nothing. And sometimes all of our life we've heard statements like that. You're not smart enough. You're not good enough. You'll never accomplish anything. But here Jesus is going to establish for this person that yes, there's room in my kingdom for even someone like you, like me. Second thing, what this man saw, he saw that there was life beyond the death. We see that all three men on the cross were dying. No one came off the cross alive. Everyone who went to cross died. No one said, hey, what did you do over the weekend? Well, I went to the lake. What did you do? I went golfing. What did you do? Well, I went to the cross, but I came off. No. Everybody who went to the cross died, including Jesus. And so here's somebody who realized beyond this cross, there is life. And so what we have here is we have one dying man talking to another dying man. And when he says, Jesus, remember me, well, what's there going to be to remember unless there's something beyond death? If I'm going to die in an hour, I'm going to die in two hours, and you tell me to remember, and that's it, then that's it. He understood. He knew that even though Jesus has died, even though I am dying, there is something he's going to remember after death. Remember me, he says. 
when you come in your kingdom. And so we go back to another passage, such as Luke 16. We think about the rich man Lazarus. And here, as the story begins, there was a rich man. He habitually dressed in purple, fine linen, joyously living in splendor every day. And a poor man named Lazarus was laid at his gate, covered with sores, long to be fed with the crumbs which are falling from the rich man's table. Besides, even the dogs were coming and licking his sores. Now the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom, and the rich man died, also died, and was buried. Just a few verses later, as the rich man on the other side of life now is saying, but Abraham said to him, child, remember... Remember that during your life you received the good things and likewise Lazarus the bad things. When I die, when you die, you don't become a pillowcase that just floats around. You will remember. Just a few verses later on, he says, and he said to him, Then I beg you, Father, that you, um, that you send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Where did he get that number from? He remembered. After you die, you will remember, I had a brother, I had a sister, I had grandparents, here's the name of my children, I did well, I didn't do well, you will remember. So here's a man dying, talking to another man who's dying, and he's saying, remember me. And the reason why he said that, he realized after they die, they're going to remember there's something beyond just this life. And that's a profound statement. And that helps us to see these things. He understood that things were not going to get worse. They're going to get better. He understood that there was hope beyond this life. Number three, what did he see? He saw that the kingdom belonged to the Lord. Remember me, notice the words, when you, not someone else, not the Apostle Paul, not the church, not someone else, remember me, Jesus, when you come in your kingdom, not Roman's kingdom, not some other kingdom, but the kingdom of God. Typically, we see this in life. When a ruler dies, a king dies, the power shifts to someone else. The Queen of England died. Now it's King Charles III. Why doesn't Queen Elizabeth still reign? Because she died. Jesus is dying, but he's coming in his kingdom. Do you see that essential point there? He understood that. And so the death of Jesus was not going to change things. Now notice this man did not ask for freedom. He didn't ask for Jesus to get him off the cross. He didn't ask him to reverse the things that were happening. Just remember me when you come. Because he realized his years of crime brought no hope. What good did all that crime he did commit? Nothing. It did not help him at all. The years of sin did not bring any value. He wanted to be with Jesus Christ. When you come. I want to be in that kingdom. I want you to remember me when you come. And then number four, he saw that Jesus really cared. And we see this in the statement of Jesus. Jesus' answer was, today you'll be with me in paradise. Not, it's too late, my friend. Not, I wish I could. I wish I could do something, but we're both dying and we can't do these things. But today... You will be 
with me. Now, I don't think that this man might have understood all that paradise was, but Jesus was going to be there, and he was going to be with Jesus. Today, not an hour, not next week, not next year, but today, you and me will be together. I will remember you. It's not too late. Jesus, you notice, did not stop their deaths. He allowed them to die. But there's something greater than death. There's something beyond that. And so one died a criminal, one died a savior, one died saved from his sins. And I can't help but think that this thief, when he heard those words of Jesus, today you'll be with me in paradise, that maybe he looked at heavenward, and maybe for the first time in a long time he smiled. And he had reason to smile. His smile was not selfish. His smile was not something that would just be based upon why he just stole from somebody, but his smile would be in righteousness, knowing that Jesus was going to remember him when he came. Now, after they died, likely this thief was thrown into a common grave. No one probably cared about him. The body of Jesus was carried away into a new tomb, the tomb uh, that, that belonged to a rich man. But then Jesus was resurrected, and Jesus would reign in his kingdom, and Jesus would be what God would want us to be and see today. And so back to that old hymn, on a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. And I love that old cross. The dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain. So I'll cherish the cross, the old rugged cross, till my trophies I last lay down. I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a crown. What a dying man saw. Question is, what will it take for me to see these things? Will it take me spending the night with the pigs as the prodigal did for me to see these things? Would take for me to be on my last breath dying before I see these things? Or through the power of scriptures, can I see these things? Can I see that Jesus Christ died, yea, for you? If this room was empty except for you, you were the only one in this room this morning. You might think, first of all, where's everybody? But Jesus died for you. And no matter what you've done, no matter how long you've done it, no longer how much you think I'm addicted, I can never get out of this pit. Jesus is saying, you can. Here was a man on the cross in his last breaths. And what did he say? He didn't say, get me off of this. He didn't say, I'm innocent, I'm innocent. He didn't say, someone else made me do this. Jesus, nine words, remember me when you come in your kingdom. Powerful, powerful thought that is. This morning, if you've never been baptized in Jesus Christ, that's where it starts. Because when you turn your Bible to Acts chapter 2, after Jesus had died, and Jesus had gone up to heaven, the early apostles gathered together, and they were preaching this. And in verse 22 of Acts chapter 2, Peter says, men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles, wonders, and signs, which God performed through him in your midst, just as you know. This man delivered up by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. 
And then when we get down here to verse 32, this Jesus God raised up again to which we are all witnesses. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God, having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you both do see and hear. And then he says in verse 36, Therefore let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus Christ whom you crucified. 37 says, when they heard this, they interrupted the sermon. What are we going to do? If this was heaven's help and we killed it, we're in trouble. If this is God's answer and we turned around from it, what are we going to do? Their answer was, repent, which means turn around. Doesn't mean just go to church. It means you've been going this way and this way isn't working. God's this way and you're going this way. Repent, turn around, and be baptized for the remission of your sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The remission of sins. Cleansed. Friday, after I got back from Dallas, there's an old, old, old church that my great-grandparents used to attend. My grandparents attend. And my dad attended there as a child. I visited there a few times when I was a kid. The church is now closed down. They're getting ready to sell the building. It's a dump. But I contacted somebody and wanted to know if I could have one of the old, old pews. Probably from 1890s when this pew was. So I met my brother, and we went down there, and we picked it up. This thing is really looking bad, really looking bad. But I put some soap on it yesterday, put some of that old English on that, and that just rich wood just came out. Sitting in my basement now, it just looks beautiful. And sometimes that's how we come to God. We got scars on this, we got some dirt on this, we got some stink on this, we got a past, we got issues, and God takes that heavenly brush, beginning with baptism. It cleanses us. And through his word, he puts his polish on us. And we get looking pretty good. It's not us. It's God who's done those things. You want the hope of heaven? You need to come to Jesus Christ. It's the greatest thing you can do. This morning, if you're not a Christian, won't you come as we stand, as we sing?